I don't know. We should have a we should have an episode about this. I feel like if your if your moral choice is between Walmart or Amazon, I feel like Amazon is the more moral choice. But it, maybe not. It is, know. but no one can articulate why. <laughs> we all know it's bad. It's just bad in a different way, right? Right. So there we have it. Okay. Hey everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and I'm joined by Scott Melson. What's up, man? Thanks for being here, Scott. Oh, man, thank you. And listeners. Yes. So we, Scott and we I... We appreciate you joining us. We do. We genuinely do. Scott and I are very excited. We uh, decided to spend some more money on more audio equipment. Yes. <laughs> so for any of you nerds at home who wonder what kind of systems we use, this is at least our fourth iteration of yes, podcast equipment. But unquestionably the best. Right. And... It is. So we've got an actual mixer. We've got four mics we can use now, which is uh, advantageous when we have guests. We got to try this out last week in our uh, Judge and Wine episode. The wine cast. And it was our first go around. So the audio was a little off, but I think we're doing better. Yeah. yeah. So thanks for bearing with us. You know, we're trying to get this right for you guys. And we're doing it on a shoestring budget, that budget being our own wallets. Yeah. So... We're going to add engineer to your official title, too, by the way. Thanks. I appreciate that. We put that on your Twitter bio. I will. Uh, We've both wanted a mixer for a while. We knew it was the best choice. And had we listened to our gut in the first place, we could have saved hundreds of dollars. Yeah, but that's all right. But now we can set it up so we can do podcasts here uh, at your house. We could take it all to my house. And we can do it over the internet in our respective homes if we need to with backup mics. Indeed. And also, as a teaser, not a teaser, as a announcement, next Tuesday, that is the 26th, that will be election day for all of you Oklahomans. Scott and I will have, uh, we're going to borrow someone else's device, but we're going to be at Oak and Ore in the Plaza District to do a live podcast recording. There will be in the back of uh, Oak and Ore. I saw on Facebook last night that Carrie Bloomert, who is running for county commissioner, yes. is also having her watch party there. So I think she's going to join us for at least a segment yeah. on the podcast. That was not planned at all. I thought we would have the place to ourselves because they don't have a whole lot of TVs there. Yeah. Do they have any TVs there? Uh, they have like two, I think. Okay. Well, they have a lovely selection of brew yes. And, yes. and other items. They also have food, which yes. is a, a plus. So if you'd like to come out and join us, we would love for you to join us. You can come on the podcast as well. We'll have four microphones there. So please come. Uh, and we'll be there from six to eight, roughly, uh, yeah. is our plan. And uh, we'll kind of kick it off with a few things, and then we'd love to just have kind of a string of guests. So even if you just want to come and hang out with us, that'd be great. We may try to seduce you and get you on the podcast as well. It's going to be it's it's going to be a good time, I think. I mean, I'm really excited about it. I know you're excited about it. Um, it's, yeah, it's going to be good. I am excited. So that's, uh, that's Tuesday the 26th at 6 p.m. You can see that event on our Facebook page, on our website, and we'll put it out on, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All that jazz. All of the social medias. All day on Tuesday, on election day, Scott and I are going to be driving around. So if you're going to be out uh, holding signs for candidates in the medians, something I've never done, that always seems odd to me. Yeah. I don't know if it works or not, or if it just feels good. Well, because you can't do it at polling places, right? So right, you, gotta, you can't. You got to do. You got to get people on their way to vote, but you can't be too close to a polling station. That's so, electioneering. Right. Ooh. You, yeah, you like... Fun. It's a vocab word. So we're going to stop and talk to some of these folks um, and find out how they got involved and what exper- what their experience is there. And if you want us to come talk to you, um, 
give us a shout on the social media tweet at us instagram at us and say hey guys you know use the hashtag let's pod this and we will make our way to where you are if we can that's right and uh also you can email us at podcast at let's fix this okay.org again that's podcast at let's fix this okay.org we would love to visit with you and we will try to use some of those interviews on uh, a podcast next week. Yeah. We may be podcast heavy next week, Scott. Yeah, I think there's going to be, but I mean, there's a lot happening. I mean, this is a... It's a big week. It's a big week, and this is, you know, it's primary elections, but it's a very consequential primary election, and there is a ton of stuff on the ballot. There's a ton of candidates. There's state questions. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot to digest next week, and so, you know, I think... Um, I think that our hope is that, yes, it'll be a lot of information from us, but it'll be less than if you try to go out and digest it all on your own. That's right. We'll try to make it easy for you. So leading up to that, two other events I want to highlight. One is this coming Saturday. That is the 23rd at 2 p.m. Revenant, uh, our last debate of the primary season between the Republican candidates for attorney general Apparently, this has become a very nasty race. Dude, this is going to be a doozy. I and, said last week, bring your beer and popcorn. Yeah, well, and they sell both of those things at the Tower Theater. Mm, that's true. If tonight's debate, so today we're recording this on Wednesday, and there was the debate between the auditor candidates um, tonight, the Republican auditor candidates, and it got a little heated between the two of them. Yeah, I was going to ask. I couldn't, I couldn't go. How, how, did, how did it go? I was a little bit late. Okay. Um, but I encourage you and all of our listeners to go back and watch it on Facebook. It's on our Facebook page. Um, from whatever point I started streaming, I think non-doc and news nine may have it as well. Um, but it was, so one of the candidates called about three hours prior and said he was not going to make it. And so the two candidates, Charlie Prater and Cindy bird were there and, uh, couldn't be more different. Uh, Cindy bird works in the auditor's office now with state auditor Gary Jones. She's been privy to all the information, all the stuff of the health department. And she touted her experience quite heavily. Charlie Prater is an outsider. He's a private citizen. Uh, I, I don't fully know his background. I think is he an in, auditor? I think it's in banking. I think he's a CPA. He's, okay. he's definitely a CPA. He has some investment experience. Apparently there's a lawsuit going on where he is, he and a number of other people are being sued for um, fraud and not bankruptcy, but default on this loan, and that came up. I had I had no idea about any of these candidates, and so that was a really interesting turn in the in the debate. Um, they both kind of got after each other a few times. There were some claims and accusations of mudslinging, interesting, which you don't expect. And normally, in I a think, primary debate for state auditor, right? I mean, normally people don't think anything about the state auditor's race, but because. Every gubernatorial candidate is calling for audits of state agencies, and so we're starting to see the state auditor's uh, uh, race become a hot-button race. That's really interesting, and I think, yeah, that's local politics. Fascinating. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's really important that people pay attention. So Indeed. Scott almost knocked over his microphone. Yeah, I'm getting used to this. That was nice. Well, it was a save. Anyway. It was a good save. All right, so, uh, well, Scott, let's jump in. This should be a shorter episode in theory. Oh, I'm sorry. Before we do, I said two things coming up. One is the AG's debate on Saturday at 2 p.m. at the Tower Theater. The second is that uh, Monday night, uh, I we're gonna. I heard that there is um, uh, some kind of state question 788 related event. Is that is that a cannabis? 
is the <laughs> medical cannabis uh, state question. Marijuana. Uh, definitely a hot button issue, and we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. So it's some kind of event, I believe, at the Tower Theater on Monday. Um, and so I think we're going to try to go and just see who's there and talk and maybe try to record some kind of uh, informational segment while we're there. Yeah, you're going to get like four episodes from us next week. It'll be great. They won't all be an hour and a half long like last week. <laughs> That's that true. was exceptional. That's Too true. many guests. That's true. Um, just the right just the right amount of guests. Just the right amount of guests. Yeah. All six of them. Yes, with plenty of wine. That's right. So uh, so tonight we want to, uh, for this week, have kind of a brief well recap of that debate, which we just did, and then discuss... A news roundup and then some 788 information? Yeah, so really everything tonight is going to be focused on uh, state question 788. You know, we've talked about this at various points kind of throughout legislative session. You know, we've talked about the question when they got the signatures getting on the ballot, you know, why Governor Fallon chose to put it here. But um, tonight we're really going to try and delve into a little bit of the kind of arguments for and against this. Now, um, a couple things like one thing I think it's important to stay state at the outset. We are really just trying to present some factual information about, you know, medicinal marijuana, what's out there from, these are all from like widely reported sources that anyone can go and access. Um, you should not take anything that you hear on the podcast tonight as being like medical advice or endorsement of any kind of medical procedure or particular medication. Um, if you have questions about, whether or not you have a medical condition that medical marijuana would be appropriate for, that is something that you need to address uh, on your own with your doctor. Um, this is not, we're not trying to encourage you or discourage you from having that conversation with your doctor. We're just trying to talk about what kind of the policy implications are for medical marijuana in Oklahoma and what the arguments are kind of for and against. So that's my like disclaimer. That's a good disclaimer. Yeah. So we're going to get into the news roundup. This will be, Andy, you'll be pleased to know this is a much shorter news roundup than last week. A lot of stuff happened last week. I understood. <laughs> so uh, first up tonight, we've got an article from the Tulsa World. Oklahoma's medical marijuana proposal borrows from other states' existing policies, but opponents say that that is a problem. Um, the gist of this is the folks that designed state question 788, they looked at the other like 30-ish states in the country that have already ha- that already have medical marijuana provisions um, and kind of cherry picked what they thought were the best elements of policy from each one of those laws. Um, They feel like that's was the best way to go about creating a, you know, good sound um, law that would benefit people here in Oklahoma. Opponents of that say, okay, maybe you didn't just cherry pick the best parts of the laws in other states. Maybe you cherry picked the parts that were the most lenient or the parts that sounded best to you as someone that would advocate for legalization of medical cannabis. And maybe it would serve the folks of Oklahoma, the people of Oklahoma better if we started from scratch and kind of designed our own legislation that's tailored around what we need here. So that's the, that's the gist of it. Um, encourage you to check it out. Make sure you take a look at it before you go vote on Tuesday. Yeah. Next up, one of the, Um, arguments that we're hearing in favor of medical marijuana and the say yes on 788 coalition is, um, is kind of, I don't want to say pushing because that makes it sound like it's illegitimate um, is that medical marijuana would yield um, increases in tax revenue. And that's true. There's no question that it would bring in tax money into the state treasury, but there is a significant question about how much. No, No one has any idea how much. Right, like estimates range from like as little as five, maybe 10 million to like 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 million. Like you can kind of, you can find a number 
that justifies your position from just about anywhere. And the short story is we're not going to know until we pass it. The tax structure for the, uh, that's laid out in 788 is, is interesting. Um, you know, we've talked about how the, just the tax on marijuana that's in the legislation or that's in the state question, I should say, um, would be one of the lowest tax rates in the nation. And that's true. However, because the tax commission has determined that purchases of medical marijuana would be subject not only to the excise tax, which is the 7% that's in the proposal, they would also be subject to regular state and local sales taxes. When you add those in, which varies from from city to city and county to county. Right. And, but when you add those in, Oklahomans would actually pay one of the highest tax rates for medical marijuana in the country. Now, the reason this is interesting is because this is going to be, if medical marijuana passes, you get it as a prescription, right? Well, normally when you get a prescription for amoxicillin or, you know, naproxen or whatever medicine you get from your doctor, when you go to the pharmacy, you don't pay sales tax on that. Medicines are exempt from sales tax, but marijuana wouldn't be. Interesting. So the article dealing with this, this is from Nondoc um, in conjunction with Oklahoma Watch. So it's by Oklahoma Watch published on Nondoc. Definitely encourage you to check it out. Medical marijuana would yield unknown tax revenue for schools by Jennifer Palmer. And that's a big deal because of the lottery issue. Right. And yeah, that's. I mean, that's a great point to bring up. And they deal with this in the article. We passed the lottery several years ago, like, what, 20-ish years ago, 15, something like Gosh, that? Gosh, yeah, I guess so. Something like that. And everybody, you know, people kind of thought the lottery was going to be the savior of Oklahoma school funding. And obviously, it hasn't been. And it's because... I think people didn't really understand the policy. Well, and we got three different numbers. Right. So like the governor, uh, was it Governor Henry? I guess it was Governor Henry. Yeah. Or was it Keating? Yeah. Or not Keating, uh, but no. anyway, I think it was Governor Henry because um, it was a Democrat. Uh, he said it was going to bring $300 million a year. And everyone thought, all right. And then the... And then it was like 10. Yeah, not OMES, but whoever yeah. that is. Um, they, the... Um, the budget office said uh, it's going to be more like a hundred million, so already a a third less. Uh, they said a hundred to like one hundred and fifty, and we've it's never brought in more than seventy two million yeah. in a single year, yeah. and so and often it's much less, sometimes like thirty or forty million, and so the fact that it's been we were promised ten times what it's been bringing in, and so uh, I think the public is reasonable to be a little skeptical of numbers that are being thrown around out there when we have no earthly idea. No, totally. I mean, I totally, totally agree. The flip side of this is we need money. Um, our state government has been cut for 10 years, and so any money helps. Yeah. But it really is more of a, an actual cost-benefit announcement um, now. So Yeah, yeah. Um, next up, we've got one from Oklahoma Policy. Uh, this is one of their capital updates. Um, this is not surprising, but I think still worth pointing out. And that is that as election day approaches, support for state question 788 may be narrowing. This is by Steve Lewis, formerly a speaker of the Oklahoma House from 1989 to 1991. Uh, currently, he is a lawyer in Tulsa. Um, and this is just, I mean, almost kind of like an op-ed or an essay. Um, and one of the things that he points out is that opponents of uh, state question 788 in the last uh, couple of weeks have purchased almost a half million dollars of ad time to air in the Oklahoma City market, specifically trying to uh, drive turnout and what they would say is educate people um, about why state question 788 is bad 
policy. Um, and he thinks that that's, he thinks that that has the chance of really taking an effect. His prediction is that the state question will pass, but it's going to be by a much narrower margin than polling has suggested previously. I'm curious to see. I really, everyone asked me if I think it's going to pass and I just don't know. I think that it will, but you know, polling, there's been some polling that shows like something like 65, 68% support. I don't think it's going to be that. I think it's going to be 55, 45, 52, 48. Like, I think it's going to get there, but I think it's going to be closer than a lot of people expect. Yeah. I think it'll be close yeah. for sure. And it, I, that I think that may be the, the, the one, I mean, all the races are interesting and important and there'll be some that are decided on Tuesday, but that one, because it is a state question, it's a statewide thing. It, it will, like everyone says, it'll depend on who turns out to vote, right? If a whole bunch of millennials show up to vote. I don't know what just happened. <laughs> I'm like really. Scott's watching YouTube videos on his phone <laughs> while I talk and Not I tweet while he talks. I um, If a whole bunch of millennials turn out to vote. Yeah, so if, if a whole bunch of millennials turn out to vote, then I think. Um, it could go one way, but if the electorate is um, what it usually is, which is senior adults um, and you know partisan hardliners, so folks that are deep into the party on both sides, and most are Republicans, um, yeah. then it it may not pass. We'll see. There's a lot of Republicans that that want it to pass too. Yep, agreed. I mean, also, if a lot of boomers show up to vote, rather than so like. So I'm 37. So if my parents' generation, the boomers, show up to vote, um, they loved a, weed. A lot of them, yeah, were fond of the <laughs> wacky tobacco, the ganja, if you will. Um, right. But their parents, so like my grandmother's generation, who are the ones that vote at the highest rate, if they are the the biggest group that show up to vote, that's a different story. So right. I think if people under the age of 65 vote, it'll especially. You know, the younger it skews, the higher chance it'll pass. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, and then um, this is not anything that is shocking. This is from uh, News on 6, um, but I think it is just, you know, it is news. Uh, Governor Fallon came out today, not today, this week, and has officially said, yes, if State Question 78 passes, I will be calling for a third special session for lawmakers to come back and basically put in place a regulatory framework that's more stringent than what um, would be than what is in the state question itself. You know, this is something, if you guys have listened to us, um, you know, we've said before, like we've been saying for months that we could be in for a third special session, that if 78 passes, that this was going to happen. But this has really been the first kind of, uh, the first acknowledgement that, yes, this is the plan. If it passes, that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So I felt like that was worthy of a mention. Yeah. The last article on our, uh, on our, News roundup this week. Andy, this is your favorite segment. Is this Pruitt Watch? It's Pruitt Watch. This is very exciting. I love the music so much. We have, for the first time on the Let's Pod This News Roundup, we have Rolling Stone. So has an article about Scott Pruitt this week. Scott Pruitt's claims about media tracking at the EPA do not add up. Now, we could spend a whole episode like trying to explain this story to you, but essentially what happened is in December, the EPA signed a no-bid $120,000 a year contract with an organization called Definers. Definers, as it turns out, is they build themselves as a like media like watch service, basically, um, but what they really are, they are a Republican campaign-style 
news monitoring service. So what these guys do is so they, they come. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So what they do is they come in for folks that hire them, like for campaigns, they monitor, like you give them a set of news services and they monitor these news services for any story that has to do with your candidate, your issue, whatever the purpose is. And then when that when that when a story comes out from one of those outlets, they either immediately rush to like push it, distribute it, you know, and <clears throat> endorse it, or you know, debunk it, come out against it, and kind of mount and kind of all out assault on why right. that's not accurate. Well, and that's so basically they set up a Google alert and then they just do something about it once it dings. Right. Yeah. That's a brilliant yeah. business model. I wish and, I thought of that. And they charge one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year to do it. Um, I'll do it for half. Yeah, right. So um, they signed this deal. It was, an, again, a no-bid contract, $120,000 of your money, um, to basically help Administrator Pruitt keep track of stories that he thought were um, that were flattering or unflattering about him. What's interesting about this is it covered the national outlets that you would expect, uh-huh. but it also specifically covered the Daily Oklahoman, the Tulsa World, and other major outlets here in Oklahoma. Again, lending further credence to the idea that Administrator Pruitt cares very deeply about how he is perceived here in his home state because he wants to run for Senate after Senator Inhofe retires or he would like to run for governor. And we've been guessing he's going to run for some kind of statewide thing. Yes. Yes. So check out the article. The contract got canceled within a week. Lawmakers are making hay about it. Like, Like, you didn't get bids. You didn't solicit competition. Like, you basically... You said that the crux of the issue is they went to definers and when asked like, hey, why did you hire this organization? They said, well, they're the only organization that can do what we need. And they said, okay, but you didn't ask anybody else? Like you asked them if they could do it and they said, yes, we can and nobody else can. And you said, okay. Okay. Sounds good. Which is funny because government is notorious for having to like require you to get three bids for things. Right. And so. Unless you know a guy. Right. So that is uh, that concludes this week's edition of. I'm gonna play the music one more time. Fruit Watch. It's great music. I really like it. At, at some point, I'm gonna buy like a little uh, pad and like compose some music for us that are like. Fruit <laughs> Watch. I love it. I love it. Well, that will end our news roundup. Okay. And I think our next segment we are going to dive into more detail about. Medical marijuana. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back and talk about the weed. Okay, and we're back. This is this is new mixer is so handy. I got music playing live. I hope it works. I assume it will. It sounds like it. It works on our headphones. I guess we'll find out later. All right, huh. so 788, Scott. Um, uh, we've talked about it some today, some um, previous episodes. As everyone knows, this is the uh, medical marijuana that we don't know how much money it's bringing in. All right. You, if it passes, it has to go into effect in 30 days. Allegedly, the health department would be in charge of it. Lots of questions and concerns that they are not equipped or funded to do this. And we would basically have to rewrite all the laws. Yeah. And so we're going to focus on this the rest of the time. And I think that... Um, we need to do a couple of things. And the first thing is clarify, you know, we've talked about this some on the pod, but I think it, it bears repeating, you know, what what does state question 788 do? Okay, so state question 788 would legalize medical marijuana or medical cannabis specifically for medicinal purposes in Oklahoma. Um, 
you the way that you would go about this is you would see a doctor, okay? It has to be a board-certified physician, and we'll come back to that because there's been some debate about what a board-certified physician is. Um, you'd have to see a board-certified physician who would grant you a state, they would give you a state-issued medical marijuana license. Um, there's no specific qualifying conditions, so it's in a, it's basically if you have a condition that your physician feels that you and your physician agree would be best you know, treated by medicinal cannabis, your physician can write this prescription that grants you a, a license. If you have a license, you'd be permitted to possess up to three ounces of marijuana on your person and eight ounces of marijuana in your residence, okay? Um, the tax structures, there's a 7% tax structure that's an excise tax on marijuana sales, and then revenue would be allocated to administrative costs, education, and drug and alcohol rehabilitation. <clears throat> Um, it would create a licensing process for dispensaries, commercial growing operations, and processing operations. Um, and then cities, this is, I think, one of the things that's causing some consternation. Cities in Oklahoma would be prohibited from restricting zoning laws um, in such a way that it would prevent marijuana dispensaries. So cities couldn't come in and say, you're not allowed to put a dispensary here or here or whatever. You can't enact specific laws that would kind of combat that. So that's what the state question would do. If you vote yes on 788, you are voting in favor of all of those things. If you vote no on state question 78, you are voting no on all of those things. Okay? <laughs> oh. You don't want those things. I mean, sometimes the language in these state questions... Are, it is backwards. That's fair. Right. And so it's just important to... That's what... It's in favor or not in favor. Yeah. All right. So how to kind of approach this? And I think that this is... You know, I think that... I, I personally think that this this is kind of a, a little bit of a difficult issue to broach. Um, so we just decided to see what we could find out um, in terms of like what's what is out there, what information is available about what marijuana can be used for, what um, why is there a push across the country and in other parts of the world to enact medical cannabis, what are potential benefits, what are harms, um, and one of the kind of best sources that we found was actually um, factcheck.org. So if anyone is familiar with the Annenberg Public Policy Center, factcheck.org is a, is a um, project of theirs, it's nonpartisan nonprofit, and they have a special section called Science Check where they fact check science-based. Science check. Yeah, they fact check science-based claims. Um, and about a year ago, um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions made some claims about marijuana, um, recreational and medicinal, um, and factcheck.org, science check, they kind of took it upon themselves to investigate these. And this article really presents a nice summary um, of some of the some of the kind of evidence and and claims that proponents and opponents make for medical marijuana. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that uh, that Attorney General Jeff Sessions is relevant to this discussion, regardless of your political leanings, because at the federal level, marijuana is still illegal. Right. Canada just legalized it. Yes. Um, but they seem very happy. Well, they've got it's summertime there. Everyone's happy. It's warmed up a little bit. Yeah. Um, They're also just generally happy people. They are. You ever been to Canada? I have been to Toronto. They're it's just wonderful. Very. Very clean city. I went last year. I'm going again in August. I'm um, excited. Will you bring me back a Mountie hat? I deal. The Done. Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Done. 
Second to a Texas Ranger. That's my that's my second favorite. Uh, the Mounties are my second favorite. Law to clarify, team. are you asking me to find an actual Mounties hat and take it and bring it back? No, no, no. They need the hat. Okay. Just so you just one. you just want me to purchase a souvenir version of the hat for you, as realistic as you can find. Okay. I think they're about fifty bucks. I will Done. reimburse you. Done. I've wanted one ever since the Home Improvement episode where Tim dressed up as a Mountie on the Christmas card. I mean, it's a badass hat. It's a good hat. Plus, it uh, will shield me from the hot Oklahoma sun. <laughs> It's true, true. Um, Jeff Sessions. Yeah, so he, as Attorney General for the United States, he is a, kind of an enforcer of federal law, and it is still technically illegal at the federal level. Yeah, and you know this article deals with a couple of claims that um, advocates of medical marijuana, both in Oklahoma and around the country, um, have been making, and I think it's... Um, at least a good jumping off point for this discussion. So um, Attorney General Sessions had said that, again, this was about a year ago, that marijuana is, quote, only slightly less awful than heroin, um, and that he says he was, quote, astonished to hear people that we can solve our heroin crisis by legalizing marijuana. Um, I think that we can extrapolate that and really try and get at two kind of issues here. So um, the U.S. in general, and Oklahoma is certainly included in this, we're struggling as much, if not more, than many states in the country with an opioid epidemic. And one um, very common argument that you hear from folks that are in favor of medicinal cannabis is that we can use heroin to, or we can use, not heroin, use marijuana to help kind of curb this epidemic. So question one would be marijuana better or worse than opioids in terms of like withdrawal, in terms of addiction, in terms of um, side effects, um, just overall harm to the body. And then question two would be, um, if you legalize cannabis, can you, does that lead to a like reduction in opioid deaths, opioid prescriptions, opioid abuse? Um, And I think that those, that's one of the main arguments that you hear from uh, opponents or proponents of medical marijuana is that it would. So let's dive into the data, shall we? So in 2015, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, there were 52,400 people uh, who died of drug overdoses in 2015. 63, 63% of those were opioids. Um, just so we're clear, opioids are um, anything that is derived from opium. So um, opium, Poppies. yeah, the poppy plant, Poppies. right? So opium, heroin, morphine, um, Norco, Percocet, Percocet, fentanyl, like all that. of those, yeah. oxycontin, oxycodone, hydrocodone, hydromorphone, all of those opioids. Okay, so that's a lot. Yes, there are many, many, many of them. Um, so sixty-three percent of these uh, fifty thousand deaths in. 2015 were involving an opioid. Do you know how many people died from marijuana overdose in 2015, Andy? I'm sure it's here in this paper I have in front of me. I just don't see it yet. There's zero. <laughs> oh, maybe there's, it's not. There's never been one. No one has died. Yeah. Not even that one cop that thought he was dying. <laughs> no. That's a great. Oh. That's a great video. No, apparently, you not. should YouTube listeners YouTube police overdose phone call. <laughs> police marijuana overdose phone call. It's so, really funny. So in terms of just what I will say that the number of opioid deaths each year of at 50,000 52,000 a year yeah. exceeds the number of people who die from AIDS each year in the United yeah. States. Yeah. If no. that's if that's any signal to you. It's horrible. It's horrible. 
Um, so that's the first thing is that we have about 50,000 people a year that are dying from opioids and no one that's dying from marijuana overdose. Um, so how does marijuana as a drug kind of compare to other drugs? And this is, um, irrespective of whether or not it is legal. There was a study that was published in the Lancet, which, uh, for those big medical journal. Yeah. So the Lancet is a, it's, I mean, when we say big journal Lancet is up there with like, it is up there in the category of like the British Medical Journal, New England Journal of Medicine, uh, JAMA, um, Annals of Internal Medicine. These are like, JAMA. yeah, Lance Lancet is a to get an article published in Lancet is it's a big deal. Like is they it? don't they don't take crap for the most part. They took one very very bad article one time that's had enormous repercussions. But is it uh, is it Lancet not Lancet? Lancet Lancet. I don't know. I don't know either. I'm not a Brit. It's just a written. Oh, it's British. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So, um, so this was an article that was published in Lancet. If you like that, if you're going to say it with the Oklahoma Lancet, <laughs> right? Uh, this was an article published in uh, Lancet in 2010. Um, and this is really interesting. So, if you're a nerd, it's interesting. Maybe it's interesting if you're not. Um, they they convened a panel of experts, um, and in that panel, they derived a set criteria where they looked at the harm created by different drugs. So they came up with an overall harm rating, which is rated on a scale of zero to 100, and then they subdivided that into harm caused, uh, visited upon people who used the drugs, and then harm visited on other people as a result of someone else using the drug. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's the harm that heroin creates to me if I use heroin and then the harm that is created to someone else because I use heroin, Mm -hmm. right? So they, those are the two big kind of subsets. And then they further divided those into physical harms, psychological harms and social harms. All right. And then I won't go through all the categories that are below that, but they came up with a kind of standard, you know, rating system and weighting system for how they would compare these drugs. And they got this panel of experts together and kind of came up with a ranking of illicit drugs and what their relative like level of dangerousness or harm is. What was number one? What would you guess? Meth or heroin, maybe Coke. You Not Coke. I would say meth. You have hit, in what you've guessed, you've hit number two and number five, um, but you have not hit number one. Oh, number one now is alcohol. Number one most dangerous drug was alcohol. That's probably because it's so ubiquitous. Yeah. And it does have some significant effects on impairing your ability to do lots of things, right. including your respiration. So number one was alcohol. Number two was heroin. Number three was crack cocaine specifically. Yeah. Four was methamphetamine. Five was powdered cocaine or cocaine in any other form that's not crack. I believe that the difference is because crack cocaine is much more likely to be laced with other substances that causes it to be more dangerous. Yeah. 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 Uh, So powdered cocaine was five. Tobacco, number six. Mm -hmm. Amphetamine, not methamphetamine, but amphetamine was seven. Coming in at number eight was cannabis. So, um, relative scores, I believe that the score for alcohol was 52. I believe that the score for cannabis was like, I think the score was like 20 or something. Maybe not even that high to look and see. But the point is to say that of this list of 20 drugs, cannabis was considered the eighth most, the eighth most dangerous while alcohol was rated number one coming in behind cannabis were, um, 
a drug, a class of drugs called benzodiazepines. This would be medicines like if you've heard of Xanax or Valium, um, Ativan. Those are all those are all uh, benzodiazepines. Methadone, which is a drug that um, to treat is opioid commonly used, yeah, addiction, used yeah. to treat opioid addiction, but it's still addictive, right? Um, and then later down the list, you have anabolic steroids, ecstasy, ecstasy, and LSD. I thought this was interesting. We're like um, fourth and third from the bottom, and then. Uh, Least dangerous, least dangerous drug of all the ones they rated: chocolate, peanut Mu- butter, mushrooms, cheese, mushrooms, mushrooms. I knew yeah. it was a food. It was so the alcohol. Alcohol was uh, total score of alcohol was seventy two. Score for cannabis was twenty. Was so, caffeine on the list? Uh, no, illicit right. drugs. Illicit drugs only. Oh, okay, yeah. So um, I still, I mean, I still feel like saying it's it's only the eighth most dangerous drug is <laughs> right. not really helping the argument. I mean, I get the science behind it, but I just feel like right. not a good talking point for the yes on 788 crew. I think that you're right because it demonstrates that there clearly is some harm um, related to cannabis. I think that their point would be, okay, fine, we'll concede that there is some harm, but according to this measure, alcohol is two and a half times as harmful and you can buy that anywhere. Do you think the alcohol lobby is like, shh, don't say that? Probably. <laughs> Probably. I mean, and tobacco is even above this. So tobacco had a score of 26. Cannabis has a score of 20. So so I think that their argument is why can't we have, like, why can't we have this product with a prescription when there are other objectively more dangerous things that are available with a driver's license? Yeah. I think that's their argument. But I think you're, I think you're right. I totally agree with the premise that, oh, if it's it's at the bottom of the top half of the most dangerous it's not the drugs. Worst. It's not a great it's not a great talking point. But, right. um, but when you compare that, right? Like when you compare that kind of level of harm with the harm created by something like opioids, um, I, I think that that's, I think that's interesting. Um, there is. And I think this is one of the big talking points for the proponents of 788 is saying, listen, the opioid epidemic is ravaging our country and a lot of folks that take pain pills could instead use medical marijuana and they would not be on opioids and maybe we'd we'd have fewer deaths. Right. And where this kind of takes us is the biggest risk factor. So if you'll, the list we were just quoting there, you know, alcohol was number one, heroin was number two right? Mm-hmm. The single biggest risk factor for someone to start using heroin in the United States today is being the, prescribed opioids. Yes. Ah, yeah. Knew it. And so, so if you're using as kind of the criteria there that like, um, if you're seeing opioid use as a jumping point or starting point or a gateway, if you will, to a heroin addiction, I think they would say that cannabis is substantially less dangerous. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, so now a couple of limitations, this is, um, this was a study that was done in the U- This was a study that was done in the UK. So they're talking about U- the UK population and UK drug use specifically. Um, that doesn't translate directly to the United States. Um, however, it is noted that the author was asked about this, um, and he said, "I actually think that it would even be like if you legalized it in the US, it would actually be less dangerous because legalization limits a lot of the danger that's inherent to a black market drug. So if you can buy something." that's you know legal that's pure where there's quality controls and regulated it eliminates some of that danger so a couple other things um we talked about the overdose that marijuana there's not an overdose potential with marijuana the reason is because marijuana doesn't act on the respiratory drive um the way that um opioids and other 
medicines do, um, opioids and alcohol, probably the two big, biggest ones that do that. Um, now I want to be clear here. When we say that there's not an overdose potential for marijuana, that there are newer forms of THC so that you can get, I forget what it's called, but you can get like, I know there are dispensaries in Denver that sell, um, very very extremely concentrated THC. Um, and there have been reports of patients actually being hospitalized after using that or, um, kind of suffering really severe side effects with use of that product. Um, let's, uh, as a general note, moderation and everything is usually a good idea. Right. Right. Um, one of the other things that they talk about here in the fact check article is the addictive nature of opioids and the relatively um, inaddictive or unaddictive nature of marijuana. So um, only about one in 10 marijuana users become addicted and that's data that's coming from the CDC. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people that are addicted um, or have a, a chronic pattern of use independence, when they stop, they go through a withdrawal phase for sure. Um, but it's really, really mild compared to withdrawal from certainly from opioids and even withdrawal from alcohol. Hmm. Interesting fact, withdrawal from alcohol, um, is really arguably the only life threatening withdrawal syndrome. Um, really? even more so than opioids. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Delirium tremens from alcohol withdrawal. Bad, bad news. Bad news. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, the other thing here, um, is that, um, Opiates, particularly illicit opiates like heroin, are commonly used um, as injectables. They're injected, which carries, of course, risks for um, bloodborne diseases, um, you know, used needles, dirty needles that you don't get from marijuana use. So I think I think that there is a pretty clear – I think that you can make a pretty compelling case that when compared to opioids specifically, marijuana is – less dangerous. Right. And so when you are considering that opioids are legally prescribed all the time, why couldn't you prescribe marijuana? I think that's the argument from 788 proponents. I think, yeah. So I think, I think, um, for a voter, your decision on this matter comes down to two things, right? One, do you want legal medical marijuana or not? Right. If you don't, you vote no. Right. If you do, maybe yes. And then if yes, is this law, do you feel this law is the best way to do that? Or does this law, like the way that the law is written, does it cause more problems than it solves? Right. Like just because it makes it legal doesn't mean that it's necessarily the best way or even a good way, but that's kind of a a subjective decision. Right. And it is also really important to understand too, that just because it might be safer than something like opioids, that does not mean that is not the same as saying it is an effective medical treatment for certain diseases, right? So, I mean, I, I think voters are getting inundated with examples, with citations, with studies, with, you know, people's um, personal testimonies about this stuff to the point that now everyone's like, all right, all right, all right. Like, just leave me alone. I'm going to vote my conscience. Right. right. I think I think that you're, I think that's probably accurate. Um, it's just, I think there's, yeah. I think that's probably accurate. I'm I'm curious. I know that there are some people that are, there's some groups that are trying to push, trying to collect signatures or go through the initiative petition process to have full legal recreational marijuana. And I'm curious to see how that happens. Um, yeah. And if, and if that was on the ballot now, I think there's a lot of folks that are like, all right, you know what? Let's not mess with this medicinal stuff. Let's just right. make it legal and move on. 
And as far as how the law is written and all the loopholes and all the state government involvement stuff, right? There's a lot of folks that are a little a little libertarian in this issue that would just assume the state government not be involved. Just say, listen, let's make it legal up to these amounts and let the Able Commission. They can right. be the the Mabel Commission, right? Add marijuana and they can do it from there. Yeah, and I th- I mean and I think that recreational I think that recreational can- cannabis will will come down the pike at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be this year, but I think that that's, I mean, I think that's kind of where we're headed as a society. I mean, it's happening all over the world. It's happened, you know, medicinal is legal in 30 States right now. That's um, 60% of America. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Someone so, phrased that. I was like, Oh, that's a good point. We're, we're one of only 28 States where it's not legal. Right. Right. Interesting. So, um, anyway, so that's kind of, you know, that's, that's kind of a little bit of a breakdown, uh, in terms of, you know, in, in terms of marijuana as it compares to something like opioids. And when you, when people say, oh, well, it should be legal because it's safer than opioids. I think the answer is yes, it's safer than opioids. When people say it should be legal because if we use it, we can help curb the opioid epidemic. Um, there is some evidence that in states where medicinal cannabis has been legalized, they have seen rates of opioid hospitalizations, opioid overdoses, and um, money spent on opioid treatment has dropped significantly it's important to know that correlation is not causation right people um people eat more ice cream in the summer and the murder rate goes up in the summer right they're not they're not related they just happen at the same time so um it's important to know that just because those states are seeing that trend that doesn't mean that they are that those two things are happening one's happening because of the other correlation is not causation right so but I, but I, but if people say that that's if you hear people say that that's a trend that they're seeing in other states, then that is in fact true. Um, I think. Go ahead. You were going to say something. No. Um, lastly, you know, I do think it's important to note that, um, and this is kind of where I come down on this personally, um, as just a person, then also as a doctor. Um, I think if doctors are going to be put in the position of prescribing medicine, it should be you know, as clear as it can be that there is a benefit to it. Right. Um, there are conditions for which, you know, cannabis has been shown to be effective. Um, but I feel like some of the marketing that we see, especially as it relates to things like CBD oil is that it is a cure all for anything that ails you. And I can assure you that that's not true. Um, so I think that we just, you know, um, as patients, as doctors, um, if this is, you know, as society is this, if this is kind of like a, if this is the road that we go down, and I think it probably will be, I think that's something we just need to be mindful of. Right. Lots of decisions to be made by next Tuesday. Yeah. All right, Scott, you want to wrap it up? Dude, that's, this is it? Uh, that's all I got. All right. Sounds good. So... That brings us to the end of the episode. Scott, thanks for being here. Thanks for your information about Mary Jane. I'm going to try to use all the slang terms I can. Bud. Last chronic for Mary Jane. Yeah. Anyway, Let's Pod This is a, a product of Let's Fix This. It's a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. We want you and all Oklahomans to be engaged with your government in meaningful ways. Don't forget to come out uh, Saturday at 2 o'clock for the Attorney General's debate. Uh, and then Tuesday, don't forget to vote, please. Hashtag vote Lahoma. 
And uh, come join us, Scott and I, at Okinawa in the Plaza District at 6 p.m. for a live recording of our podcast. Uh, this is edited and produced by Scott and I, and we are a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. You can connect with us online. Scott is on Twitter and Instagram, at SCMelson. I am at Andy OKC, and our big group is at Let's Fix This OK. We would love for you to be there and meet us. We'd love for you to connect with us online. Hit us up at email podcast at letsfixthisok.org, and that is our website, letsfixthisok.org. Thanks, everybody, and have a great week. <laughs>